Welcome to the Kickpod, your weekly DM on the stuff that matters. Good morning. Hello. How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm I'm fantastic. Yeah, that's great. It is it is wedding week for me, which is <laughs> which is um is very exciting. It's very exciting. It's been a which I knew I knew it would be the case when when we found the date for this wedding for our wedding when we for the this fourth wedding. time. Uh, I knew the timing was not the I mean I'm so grateful that we had a date that we could get it yeah, everyone available yeah, but yeah. I just knew this time of year is like when everything is just needs to be finished off yeah but it's and the most it's been exciting very time of yes, year as it's well it's a very exciting time yes. of year so I'm at the moment in absolute like fight or flight mode which is something we talk about in the podcast yes. too that's coming up uh but I'm about to take a few days off before the wedding which yeah, will be good, absolutely lovely good, which is good. now and I've also I feel like there's been this and I'm finally okay with it now and I'm you know touch wood it's all going to be fine. But I think because we're on our fourth date and I wonder yeah. if any other people are feeling this way. I know I kind of touched on this last time, but the fear of getting COVID or someone close to you yes, getting COVID, getting yeah. COVID is like 100,000 million times. Totally fair. We actually had a shoot this week yeah. that was so exciting mm-hmm. and we're very excited to share it when we can, but we had to have a negative COVID test yeah. result to get there. And in the line, I was like, I didn't have a panic attack, but I was like, I was almost there. Yeah. It was a Well, because you would have just been thinking morning. of the worst. Like, exactly. who have I been in contact with? Where have I been? What chances is there that I have Yeah, COVID? and I'm thinking like, oh my God, I've... Well, we've had a really, really big few few weeks of work and and workouts and everything. So I'm thinking, is my immune system my, right I'm now? a little bit tired. Yeah. Like, is it because I have COVID? Yeah. Like, oh my throat. Actually, I know my voice is a little bit dull. Yeah. Is it? Is it? You yeah. know, all of those thoughts. But anyway, um, yeah, I'm just I'm so excited now. It's Same. so close. My dress is picked up. Yay! For the second time, this is the last time we're picking the dress up, yes. <laughs> <laughs> which is very exciting. And yeah, it's it's soon. It's this week, which is just crazy. It's going to be the best. It's going to be so much fun. And I like it's just one of those things for every one of your guests as well, and me included. It is like the coolest <laughs> event to look forward to in the first month out of lockdown. I'm glad it's may cool. I say, it's like <laughs> we have a wedding to go to. Uh, like it's so exciting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, anyway, so I'm, um, yes, I am very, very excited for that. Good. You should be. Thank you. Do you have a special share? I do have a special share. I, is it what you shared it to is, me? It yeah. is, I it haven't is. watched it yet. Okay. I feel so bad. I need it to. is. Oh, guys, I watched it again. So I watched it again last okay, night. Okay, nice. Yeah. And it is called The Dog House and it's on Channel 10. And I randomly just had Channel 10 on the other night and it came up and I watched one episode and I was like, what is this show? I was in happy tears. Even Josh had happy tears. Oh. And so I then went on to 10 Play and I found that there's like eight episodes so I've gone back to the start because I think I watched like episode six and I've watched a couple of episodes and I was watching it again last night and I can't get through an episode without tearing up like it's the most beautiful show so what it is it's a rescue home in like a dog house in um shelter sorry in Sydney in the northern Sydney and what they do is they take in dogs they might have been surrendered or rescues and then they kind of like do this matchmaking service so like humans (laughs) will go there saying that they would like a dog and there's all these beautiful backstories like maybe they lost their longtime partner maybe they just 
they had a dog that passed and they or there was this guy who had um, PTSD from being in the army and he really struggles to hold relationships so he was looking for a best friend in a dog and he hadn't had a dog in like 20 years and I was like oh my god my heart is breaking anyway and then they look through all the dogs that they have at the shelter and like their little personalities and everything and then they have this like meeting where they meet and it's like the dog like the owner has to you know obviously connect with the dog but Mm. the dog also has to connect with the owner and it's it's really about finding the best match for both of them and it's just it's so wholesome and it's so beautiful and I just yeah really enjoy that content you know what else is nice as well is that obviously especially through COVID there was a lot of non-ethical breeding going on and there was a lot of people buying puppies yeah me included which I have already got a dog so we and I that's why I actually also I try and share as much as they can about what it's actually like to have a dog because yes they take cute photos so many they people, look cute no it, it it's, it's really a responsibility hard to get a 100%. puppy and there's a lot of people that you know don't realize responsibility and well, they say that puppies, yeah and then they, they give the dogs away and often the dogs are actually put down which is so sad yeah. so it's nice that this show is showing well, that rescue dogs can be amazing pets and also pets are a huge responsibility and the shelter like so this particular shelter they find it every dog at home mm. um and it's just so beautiful to see also the people that work there how passionate they are yeah. like they often cry they cry when a dog is surrendered to them because you know you watch the dog like watch their owners walk away and it's like the most heartbreaking <laughs> thing ever but then you see that same dog be connected with this like beautiful family anyway it's just it's a really really beautiful show and i didn't even know it existed i need some of this whole yeah. this week so, <laughs> so i'm gonna watch it 10 play is where you can watch it if you want to yeah go back and watch as opposed to waiting for it to pop up on it amazing amazing what about you so my special share this week is actually a meditation Mm -hmm. from the wellness hub so all of our meditations on kick you can find in the wellness hub on the app or on the website it's called anxiety relief meditation is this the one that you did in the line it is the one i did in the covid line yes it goes for 16 minutes Mm -hmm. it's a there's shorter meditations than that if you like shorter meditations but you had an hour and 45 to kill I did (laughs) and I it really just brings your thoughts back and I especially through this time of year even if you can't find 15 minutes to a meditation we've got shorter ones Mm. I think three minutes is the shortest that we have it is so important to find time which we all have I know we say we have no time but we can find five minutes to take a breath put it in and recenter yourself to the present and like practice mindfulness it literally makes the biggest difference and it is so important at this time of year oh, especially when you're having in that moment of like overthinking something or 100 yeah exactly so that is fine perfect so now kick, for updates. kick updates what oh my goodness there's so the most many. exciting kick it is the black friday sale which is just you know what it starts today guys so it is very very exciting news we have 60 percent off your first month on the month to month subscription that is only seven dollars eighty for your first month so if you are interested in our Black Friday sale. You can head to our website, www.keepitcleaner. The sale ends. Dot mi- com? Yep. That would be, that would make sense. Dot <laughs> com. You can also access the sale through the app store too. Yes. And the sale ends at midnight on the 29th of November. So get in and make the most of your 60% off your first month. Yeah. So if you have been thinking about signing up to Keep It Cleaner, you hear us bub on about it every week and you think, you know, maybe I should give it a go. It's actually only 26 cents a day when on you break this it down, deal, yeah. which is. We hope that you see value in it. You know, I hope that you <laughs> see more than that. But yeah, $7.80 for your first month, which is, yeah, 
good time to try it out. It's a good time. To, and it's, you know what? It's an even better time to try it out because we're in week two of our HIIT challenge. Yes. So there's brand new workouts going in every week, which is super exciting. We hope you're all enjoying that HIIT challenge. I've only been able to do a few because I'm still in the thick of the run program, but they are so, so good. We did one with the community last week on a kick party and it was incredible. Yeah, it was it was awesome. And also a lot of them, or they're mainly no equipment. Yeah. So if you're worried about, oh, I don't have any access to a gym or I don't have any equipment at home, that's okay. You can do them. And for the ones that do have a tiny bit of equipment, Brooke, who is our master hit trainer, mm. always gives an option for equipment free. So hope you enjoy that. And then also, speaking of Kick Run, Steffi, if you started from the day we launched Kick Run, it means you are now on week seven, which is so exciting. Mm. You are nearly at 5K. And no matter where you are on your Kick Run journey, we would love to hear your feedback. Your feedback means the absolute world to us. Everything that we do at Keeper Cleaner is to help you Mm. live a healthier life and we want to just make it as easy as possible. So if you do have any feedback for us, it doesn't matter if you've only completed one run or every run, we'd love for you to complete a survey. We have a three minute survey and we'll pop the link in our show notes. It would literally mean the world for us if you to us if you're able to do that and you try and kick run. Because yeah we we just want to make it so perfect. Yeah everything we do is is for for you you guys. Alrighty, and now for today's episode, which is a very, very special episode. Mm. This was such a great conversation. Let's talk about sex, baby. Love it. Yes, let's do it. So this is the <laughs> modern guide to sex. It is so exciting. We have got Georgia, Grace, and Lucy Walk mm. from Normal on the podcast, their insights, the data they have to share with us, the way they speak about sex and pleasure and everything mm. is just incredible. So we hope that you enjoy this. Lucy and Georgia, we are so excited to have you on the Kick Pod. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Our pleasure. Thank you so much. So we wanted to start with a, I mean, it's a very simple question, but sometimes it's hard to answer. (laughs) If you could write the copy for both of you for your intros, how would you describe who you are? It's funny, we were texting about this before and I was like, Georgia, this is killing me. <laughs> it's hot. Yeah. Um, I can jump in. I'm Lucy. I run Normal, which is an Aussie sexual wellness brand and we're all about giving people like the information, confidence and tools to explore sexuality and whatever that means for you. Like we know sexuality is really diverse. Um, so we make like sex toys, sex essentials and sex education. But I was like, that just sounds like a career description. So really, I would say my life goal is I want a mini schnauzer called Gerald and that's like kind of the most important thing to know (laughs) love that (laughs) the amount of times I've heard about Gerald um so I'm Georgia I'm a certified sex coach and basically what that means is I work with individuals couples and groups and I support people to have fulfilling relationships with sex so I guess I work with both sexual concerns as well as sexual curiosities and I'm Normal's in-house sex coach. So yeah, as you've probably seen, we have created you know lots of sex education together. We develop toys together and it's absolutely a dream to be working so closely. Yeah, it's the That's best. So I'm sure you're awesome. familiar with working with your best friends, but it's very nice. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> it really is the best. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I suppose, like, I mean, I'm not really sure what the curriculum is right now. Obviously we're, you know, Almost 30 was a while when we were in school, a while ago when we were in school, but I'm sure, I mean, I hope it's come a long way from when we were in school. Sex ed was, 
you just didn't really learn much at all, to be honest. You learned basically about how to put a condom on and um, maybe the, the science behind having I babies. Did. I went to a Catholic school. and You I didn't even learn how to put a no, condom on? No, I, I can't remember it, oh. so I feel like we didn't. Well, yeah. there you go. So I didn't have any. I don't so think. not a lot. But <laughs> I suppose like a lot of what we were learning is, is truly outdated. And um, I, I wanted to know with you guys, do you think about the current curriculum or maybe what should be in the current curriculum? Um, do you think it might be failing young people, maybe especially the LGBTQI community? Yeah, for sure. And I think Luce can speak to a few of the stats on on everything we've observed. But Mm. from my experience in working with people, every time I ask them this question, it's so similar to what you've just said. It's like um, the condom on the banana, if you're lucky. And then (laughs) other than that, it's basically just don't have sex. And often it's taught to uh, taught by people who also haven't received sex education. So they feel really clunky and awkward and uncomfortable talking or teaching so yeah I think reflected in the conversations I have with adults um, with people who um, haven't been in school for for some time it's very much the same but yeah normal recently did some research into this to get a sense of how it actually is affecting people later in life yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, even the fact that the two of you had differing experiences of sex education speaks to one of the mm. issues with sex education in Australia, which is that the curriculum is really vague. Um, and then there's no kind of standard like monitoring or checking on how it's implemented or whether it's implemented. And so mm. there's a lot of variability in the experience that you might have. But also probably the curriculum is um, pretty limited. Like what we tend to get is a subset of health risks related to sex. Like you might get some contraception, you might get um, sort of pregnancy and explanation of how that works, you might get STIs, but if you're looking for anything, for example, like sexual dysfunction, um, so if that's something like vaginismus, if it's premature Mm. ejaculation, anything like that, that's not mentioned at all, or even things like pain during sex, which is a really common issue, especially for people with vulvas. So, um, you know, any of those issues, a lot of people feel quite stigmatised and alone. They're not sure what to do and they sort of suffer yeah. in silence with those things. Um, and then, of course, like LGBTQ plus sexuality is, um, you know, for, so our stats sort of when we spoke to about a thousand Australians demographically representative, like even people in Gen Z, like less than one in 10 had any mention of LGBTQ plus sexuality. And I think, um, you know, not only is that um, like a, a silence that makes, um, you know, people who are LGBTQ plus fit, feel um, like they're not seen but also I think it's sort of indicative of a value set that's saying well we think you're second class citizens like we don't think that you have a right to health and well-being that's equivalent Mm. to members who are people who aren't in the queer community I think that really is something we have to change really quickly and obviously over the last year between like amazing advocates like Grace Tame and Chanel Contos and Saxon Mullins and Brittany Higgins we've been having a conversation about consent and the way that consent is taught in schools as well and um, the statistics certainly suggest that we need to really raise the game there like even recent graduates so again gen z it's about a third who learned how to discuss consent with a partner it's about one in sort of four who learned about legal rights and obligations and even things that feed into that like porn and you know the difference between porn and real sex is something that only like one in ten get so there's all of these areas that are really important that we're just not talking about and we're sort of leaving um, young people very much on their own to go and sort of try and self-educate with often lower quality sources as well 
Yeah, and I guess the the one thing that if we were to get into schools <laughs> and to be able to teach, it would be sex positive, shame free, informed. Yeah. People would be empowered with the information, the questions that they have to be able to learn about it in a safe space, and then also to be able to access it when they feel comfortable. Because we know that learning in the classroom or having questions about sex or relationships may not necessarily feel safe for all young people. So if they could access it. In a time, perhaps online, and go through topics that are really supportive for them, that are also really expert-led as well. That's what I would love to see happen in the space. Yeah, it is. It is to、um, me, I think, really interesting that like a generation of digital natives are still being taught sex by their maths teacher with their friends. <laughs> like, <laughs> I do think there's a really interesting evolution that'll happen around that as well. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. And when you, I mean, when I think back to, and especially the conversation we've had on the podcast, we've had a lot of conversations about how sex ed in schools is really damaging in its lack of information, especially with fertility. fertility. We've really、yeah. spoken、mm, about it from a fertility、yeah. perspective, in that like we're just told avoid sex, do not have sex, you will get pregnant if you look at you know the opposite <laughs> sex, basically,、yeah. exactly. <laughs> and so then it then becomes a huge issue、mm. when、um, people start trying to have children, in that they think that it will happen straight away, and there's No education about the fact that actually it's not that easy, and it might be. Obviously, everyone listening, contraception is very important, but there's so much yes, more to the conversation. And we, yeah, <laughs> we haven't had it though from this perspective in the you know shame free and and all of those things.、Um, so it's yeah, it's so awesome to to have you on and chat to you. And we wanted to chat to you about your modern guide to sex, which is an online course that you have developed, which we think is just absolutely incredible. And we wish we had access to it when we were younger. <laughs> Can you tell us about it? Sure. Yeah. So I guess this is like a combo of basically everything we've wanted, and approaching <laughs> it from two perspectives. My perspective of working with people in session and in workshops, and all of the questions that people ask all the time.、Um, so yeah, we cover everything from consent and boundaries to relationships, anatomy, orgasm. Like we touch on pain. Like there's so much in this course that I think is really. You know, important for people to be able to access and to go through it.、Um, it's a combo of video and online resources and having a workbook too. So it. I guess looks at learning in a way that is allowing for anyone to be able to learn in the way that's best for them. Whereby you get the information, you can consume it, and then you can actually learn by doing. Because we know that great sex isn't made just by reading a book or watching a video. <laughs> like you actually have to practice. You have to be clunky and you have to be awkward. So yeah, it's as a sex coach, everything that I wanted、um, everyone to be able to have access to. What about、yeah. you, Luce? I mean, George is the host, and as you can hear, she's great.、Um, and I think, <laughs> I think it is really—it's really important. Even just thinking back to that contrast between, you know, a teacher who may well be like a subject matter specialist in a lot of things, but there's no guarantee that that means that you're comfortable、um, answering lots of questions about sex, making other people feel comfortable, holding space for people to、um, speak to the concerns and curiosities that they have. So I do think it's actually really nice to have、um, someone who's trained to do that really well,、um, hosting the course and. 
I think, I mean, I, I think George has mentioned a lot about what we wanted to put in here. Like we really um, took what you can see in the demographic research. Um, we spoke to a thousand Australians. We spoke to hundreds of our users. And we obviously do a lot of per- in-person and online sort of conversations with our users too. And um, this course is like the summation of like, what are all the things that we think you should be learning about sex um, to have kind of a healthy, fulfilling, pleasurable sex life. But also what are all the questions that we hear over and over when people submit them anonymously? So the types of things that people really want to know but don't know where to go for good information about. And um, because of that, you know, we ended up covering lots of things like confidence and mental health as well, because we get tons of questions around like how those things relate to sex. And we also, I think we're, we're really deliberate um, like in wanting to make sure that this is an inclusive course too. So at normal, we don't assume our users are cisgendered. Um, so if for anyone who's unfamiliar with that term, cisgendered just means that your um, sort of gender at birth um, lines up with what has historically been associated in a physical body with that gender. So a, um, you know, if you were born with a penis, um, you may identify as a male, that would make you cisgendered. And we also don't assume our um, users are heterosexual or straight. Um, so um, we wanted to make sure that we actually cover all types of sex, <laughs> not just kind of penis and vagina sex that we see in porn or penis and vagina sex that we type kind of, and like straight penis and vagina sex that we see um, in like the kind of sex ed videos that are focused on pregnancy. Um, so we cover masturbation, we cover oral sex, anal sex, vaginal sex, V on V and P on P sex. Um, and we just wanted to make sure we cover all of those really well, as well as the health and safety aspects. And then it's free for uni and TAFE students too, um, or sort of $29 for um, anyone else. So we really wanted this to be like quite an accessible introduction to um, the world of like grown up sex education. <laughs> So amazing, so affordable and so accessible. It's, mm. it's, and to your point about, you know, having an actual specialist talking to you about this sort of stuff, it's so true because whilst, you know, we can sit here and have a go at the curriculum, I would have not have liked my math teacher to <laughs> really go into a, a oh, lot of things. Like if he was so talking true. to me about pleasure, I would have been like, no, um, <laughs> yeah, peace, peace out. Oh my god, no. Yeah. You would, you would definitely tap out at that point. Yeah, <laughs> and I think it's it's putting teachers in such an uncomfortable position. Like it's really, yes. you know, it's 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 not a great uh, not a great situation for anyone. I think. Yeah. <laughs> so the future, what we hope is not only for it to be in the curriculum, but there is a specific specialized teacher in every yes. school. Would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or you yeah. know, a program like yours for sure being um, shared with. with every school that's the dream as well as you know um just a kind of quick um sort of content or trigger warning for anyone if you want to take a break for like 30 seconds this might be a good time but um even i think if you look at rates of things like sexual assault in australia like somewhere between one in six and one in three women over the age of 15 will experience it somewhere between about one in 25 and one in 15 men just depending on how you count the stats like that's a public health crisis and I, i do think the way that we talk about this can sometimes be like, oh, it's a little awkward, kind of belongs in the private sphere. I'm not really sure it's important enough to put on a curriculum. And I think we really need that kind of mindset shift, for example, to being like, no, it's important enough that we might have a dedicated teacher in a school or we might have a dedicated class or whatever the thing is, like really seeing this as a, as a health risk and an opportunity to, I think, boost population-wide mental health and functioning that, um, yeah, we actually like need to take seriously too. Absolutely. No, completely agree. Um, now the next question is around lockdown and I cannot wait for the day where those words do not come out of my mouth. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> but you know, it was, it, it, it is the now we are only coming out of it now and it has been our new normal for really the last kind of 18 months. So 
we have to talk about it. There would have been <laughs> such a shift or a change, I'm sure. I mean, even the way that we connect, whether it's your romantic relationship or your family or your friends, um, even if you're single and you're dating, like all of that completely changed over lockdown, of course. So my question is, how has sex and love and those kind of relationships changed since pre-COVID? Oh, yeah. Luce, what did you find in the research? Well, I mean, yeah, we actually recently did a bunch of research <laughs> with... <laughs> I'm also a social science, like, data nerd. Um, <laughs> so that's my background. Um, so I'm always like, oh, my God, is there a stat? Um, but, um, yeah, when we spoke to about a 1,000 Australians about this, um, and one of the really interesting things that we found when it came to kind of um, the experience of relationships, for example, is there's this real split happening in the population um, between couples who are kind of just surviving in lockdown. So people who are saying, you know, my libido dropped drastically. Um, I didn't feel like sex with my partner. Um, this um, even like the sort of about one in, I think about one in four couples um, who started together actually broke up over the course of the lockdown. So we definitely saw that kind of group for whom um, being uh, sort of cooped up together or the financial or emotional or physical stress of the pandemic um, was not a good thing. There's also this group though, interestingly, who are thriving. So, you know, 22% of people said I enjoyed time with my partner to be more intimate. A similar amount said they used the time to work through intimacy issues and improve their relationships. And about one in four actually like used the lockdown to explore new things in their sex life. So we saw this like really interesting divergence happening um, in terms of how it affected people as well. I think, Georgia, you saw that in your sort of work with couples as well. Yeah, it was so interesting to see this research too because I have been in a really, um, I guess, fortunate position to be able to see how relationships have really changed. And among my peers, it's been quite wild to see um, just, you know, how much of an obvious impact this has had on the way that we relate, we date, and that we have sex as well. So um, I saw this in couples, that some couples, for the first time, they were able to have dinners together or they were able to connect or they had lunchtime and they could go and prioritise sex or mutual masturbation or all of these things. So they really loved being able to, to connect. But then, of course, we know that when it comes to desire and libido, stress directly impacts how much you're wanting to have sex. So, mm -hmm. yeah, if we're looking yeah. at the amount... <laughs> yeah. Everyone's yeah. looking at a lot. Yeah. 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 It always yeah. resonates. Yeah. And that stress, like if we're looking at the stress, it was financial, it was emotional, it was psychological, ecological, political, like all of these stresses that humans were experiencing of the unknown meant that many people were just intending to survive. They Sex was the furthest thing from their mind. And I guess that's couples. So when couples come to see me, they come to see me because they're identifying an issue. So I was really able to support them in normalising that everything they're going through is very expected and human right now. But then we also had people who are dating. And for the past two years, they've felt that their life has been put on hold, particularly for those who are actively wanting to meet someone who are really wanting to start a relationship. So I think it was interesting to see how people were getting really creative. Some some legal, some <laughs> not recommended by the government. Um, but <laughs> yeah, they were, the way that people were engaging, whether they were using like sex tech, 
um, going on on walking dates, um, doing virtual dates, uh, and even just the absolute fatigue of dating and people just tapping out from dating for a good amount. And yeah, we've seen that since <laughs> emerging out of lockdown, it actually has been really tricky, I think. I mean, I don't know how both of you have felt, but there's been this time where you're like, oh, as soon as we get out, it'll be so wonderful and exciting and I'm just going to do all these things. But mm-hmm. I think everyone's a little bit, um, apprehensive as well mm. how how do you both feel about that yeah I mean well we're both in I'm about to get married, and yes. married. <laughs> so I think I think for us it was more so it's been for me my experience has been the nicest thing has been like the end of the day coming home to my partner yeah, and seeing, having something them. to talk about because when you're in each other's pockets 24 yeah. 7 you just yeah you just like stay away from me and so it's almost like the <laughs> yeah. last thing you want to do is be intimate because you're like I've seen you every single second of every single day yeah. and I just think yeah. you need sp- and I think it's been it's been a really good um, I suppose reminder that and it's something that Steph and I speak really openly about it's so important to have independence in your relationship yeah. in your mm. life um, and I think COVID was a really big you know reminder of that but yeah I think it's it's been it's been a lot going back into things yeah but it has been nice to have that space oh I, I agree completely I'm um, the same boat with laws like we were both in a position where um you know our partners were at home with us 24 7 we had friends who as you guys mentioned were couples that really thrived in that time and I think it was because they you know were kind of forced to spend more time alone together when it came to having dinner or over the weekend time when they were free but throughout the week at least one of them still got to leave the house for work and, mm. you know, maybe worked in the trade or... Um, and so they kind of still got that opportunity to miss each other. So it was really hard to talk to them sometimes because <laughs> we were like, oh, <laughs> we're at the point where, like, nearly every night we're watching... We're in two different TVs, two different rooms, <laughs> yeah, watching yeah. different things because we just need <laughs> some space. Um, so, yeah, yeah, as Laura said, it, it. I think the intimacy did ebb and flow, mm. I think, mm. um, there was and there was times where it was gone for <laughs> weeks on end just because it was like I just don't have the energy or <laughs> like <laughs> that right now. I mean, we've Steph and I have had an experience with being in a relationship, and yeah, it definitely has been. I think if you, I feel like if you get through COVID, it's a pretty good test to your relationship. Yeah, it's like it one of the new. Test. It's one of the new tests. They used to say that, like, you know, you've got to try and live together. You've yeah. got to try and travel together. And now it's like go through COVID together. Yeah, yeah. it's the so equivalent of a not, puppy. hundred yeah. percent. For those not in in lock, uh, sorry, in relationships in lockdown for singles more so. What have you found with people? I know you spoke about lockdown fatigue um, mm. and just being a bit over dating. I think from the people we've spoken to that are dating, they're just like, oh, it's just so, it's just so much harder. What have you, what have you kind of seen and Mm. spoken to people about? Yeah, I think the, the really obvious thing that I was working um, with for people who were single was they were just craving intimacy and touch because they may have been living with people. They may have been living with friends or family members, but you really do miss that, that sense of feeling held or of getting a kiss or, you know, whether it is sexual or more intimate that we as human beings, for many of us, um, receiving touch and giving touch can be a vital part of feeling human as well as um, looking at sexual self-confidence like a lot of people identified that 
a big part of how sexual or confident they felt was that process of getting dressed up, going out on a date, feeling like they could flirt, feeling like they could connect with people. And of course, there were just absolutely no opportunities to do that. So they also felt like they lost a sense of themselves in just not being able to, you know, meet new people. And, you know, as I think many, many people feel there are pressures there are pressures to be in relationships and I even heard that lots of people were asked how how's your dating life you know have you met anyone and they're like how could I possibly have met anyone and it's just this ongoing pressure that um, even a lockdown didn't stop people from kind of asking where they were currently at Mm, yeah and I think as well you know for so quite a lot of people who sort of were single and like interested in relationships, at least tried dating in lockdown, but um, about 1% actually ended up in a serious relationship. So for a lot of people, <laughs> it was sort of a, a period of, of a degree of like frustration. Um, and I think like some of the stuff that we would hear from um, people in our community was like, oh, like it's really hard to chat to someone for four months on hum- on like humble, hum- hinge bumble. <laughs> She's not on, been on the dating app yeah. for a while. <laughs> Oh God, I sound like such a boomer. Um, (laughs) But um, no, so like a lot of people would be like, oh, it's actually really like it puts so much pressure on the eventual interaction when you finally meet each other in person because you've been trying to sustain this conversation for four months without sort of figuring out if you have that in-person chemistry. So I think that was like a really, you know, strong thing that we heard. And um, we also, um, contrary to the whole kind of hot vac summer, super excited for reopening (laughs) narrative, I think... um, there's a lot more mixed feelings um so like with people we spoke to the strongest sentiments were like I'm ready to start getting intimate again but I want to start slow once things open up or I feel anxious because it's been so long since I've been intimate I'm afraid I won't know how to socialize or flirt anymore Mm. I've lost sexual confidence um I'm I'm feeling really sort of insecure about my body particularly there have been changes coming sort of during lockdown so Mm. um a lot of people are sort of saying well it's a mixture of feelings and I think sort of even just creating space for that to be okay instead of sort of um almost creating more pressure on yourself to go out and do the kind of post well or two baby boom um like might be nice as well (laughs) question i was going to ask you next is right back onto relationships again but one thing that i mean we both know from our relationships we're super super fortunate to be in very supportive relationships where we can have open conversations with our partners and and be really honest and it is hard though for some people to feel comfortable enough to talk about things like sex um even if it is with a long-term partner and so I would love to know if you guys have any kind of tips and tricks for our community if there's something that they've been wanting to share with their partner or wanting to talk about or bring up you know how can they feel safe in that space and um what are some things that they could maybe do to feel more comfortable in opening up to their partner Yeah, sexual communication, I think is, you know, even if you are in like a really loving, supportive, open, um, it can still be really (laughs) awkward. And, and people will often identify, they'll say things like, we can talk about anything else, but it's just this one thing. And I think that's because sexual communication is a skill. And it's a skill that we've never been taught. And I think there's an assumption that when it comes to sex, and when you are in a great relationship, that sex should just work, you should 
just know where to stimulate. It should, you should never need to tell them what you want. Um, it should just be sort of effortless. You should want to have sex at the same time. And we just know that that's really not the case, that you actually have to learn how to be a good lover. And I think if, for anyone out there who is perhaps identifying, oh, that's me, like I, I do need a bit of support. Actually, the first thing I would do is really recommend the course because we spend a lot of time working through that. There's so many different approaches to sexual communication there but it may even be something like finding a time that feels really safe a, a great context to have this conversation so I wouldn't typically recommend before during or after sex maybe like if you're out on a walk or um, if you can set aside some time at dinner um, so that you know everyone feels okay to have this discussion and it might even say hey I was listening to this amazing podcast and <laughs> I've, I've heard about sexual communication and I'm just thinking like I think it would be really important for us to talk about this because sex is a, a really important thing for me and for our relationship and I want to find ways to make it even better so how would you feel about working through this together? I think just to really horizontalize it, often mm -hmm. we find that um, it becomes this really, really, really big issue that just then combusts. But if we can normalize it and make it just like anything else um, so that, yeah, you can start to practice this new language. I love that. Um, and I, I think as well, you know, some of the things that I've seen work for people include um, if there's something that you like, you want to practice how to talk to your partner about what you like in a really specific way, like it can be helpful to practice that in a non-sexual context first. So do it in a massage instead of trying to do it in sex itself. Um, and there can also be like a really important sort of element of self-inquiry and actually spending time thinking about, well, what am I blockers um what are the internalized feelings that i have that might be kind of um bringing this is bringing up as well um and certainly as well like if it's something where you're you are sort of really struggling with it um also there's like a, a, a huge range of great professionals that you can speak to too as well so whether that's like a sex coach or a sex therapist or a psychologist or a relationship therapist like there's all these different modalities where i think people are available to kind of create space for that type of conversation and even one thing that i really love that i hear when people do our course um is that they'll say, well, actually, it was like having a third person in the room that let us talk about this without it necessarily feeling like a judgment on our existing relationship. I really, I, I love that. Like, I think for so many people in long-term relationships, there is that fear that in suggesting something new or trying to bring up something that you might um, sort of uh, offend your partner or um, make it feel like the sex that you've been having isn't the sex that you want. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it can be really nice to actually sort of have something as a stimulus if you want to start that conversation with a partner that is outside of the two of you as well that can be a sort of a really nice like beginning point too oh that's so uh, that's so great I think that especially for I mean even thinking of growing up and like the way that sex is discussed um in schools and more so in a hetero relationship with a male and a female it's always I feel like there's a lot of pressure like there's so much masculinity in like the way that like a man should like you know be able to pleasure the female and um and you know they should be all and the female should never have to say anything because they should know and if they don't know then they're failed and I think that mm. is 
how unfortunately we have grown up and that's kind of, I don't know if it's from movies or where that's socially kind of been put into our brains, but it is, I feel like it makes it even harder. As a woman, I feel probably maybe more comfortable speaking about it because I don't feel like my ability to pleasure a partner is anything to do with my worth. But I do actually, now you say this, I, I think from, from a male perspective Absolutely. in a hetero relationship, there is that pressure. And so it makes it even harder to have that conversation without offending them. Absolutely. And also, you know, so many like male identifying people that we speak to will say, well, I like, you know, it seems like my partner um, has their friends to speak to. It seems like there's this kind of empowerment dialogue happening online and in media and increasingly sort of female sexuality is being celebrated as a as a form of self-care. Um, and they'll often be like, where's my version of that? Because yeah. <laughs> I don't feel like I can talk to my friends and um, I don't have the language necessarily to start that conversation with my partner. There's nothing in pop culture that's telling me what that should look like. Um, and then it's sort of often like, porn or reddit um are like your best sources and those can be like patchy at best i would say (laughs) um yeah so i I think there's like a real um it's one of the interesting spaces where actually like for cis men like i i think they are years behind in terms of like the change that's taking place socially um and um and having a space to talk about this like there are lots of ways in which our culture is i think obviously sort of very favorable to that group of people but um yeah it it, it is a real silence and i think that there's a lot of people who suffer in that as well Mm. absolutely and with relationships coming out of lockdown, but then we've now gone back into real life. And I think especially for anyone that lives in Melbourne and even Sydney, we really went from zero to 100. Yeah. It wasn't a really gradual coming it's out of lockdown. Season. It was like, you know, come out and it's so busy Christmas. and it's almost overwhelming. It's Christmas time. There's Christmas parties. There's mm. events. There's all of these things happening, dinners and catch ups because we haven't <laughs> seen people for so long. And so our bodies are kind of in this fight or flight mode at all times. We're super anxious. We're uptight. We wanted to ask you, what does that effect have on our relationship with sex and also with our bodies? If we're always uptight all the time, does that affect our relationship with sex and our relationships? Totally. Yes. yes. <laughs> a thousand it has, percent. <laughs> it has a huge impact. And I, I guess this is where my real interest lies. So a lot of my training has been in the somatic. So somatic essentially means bringing awareness to the body and sexology means the scientific study of sex. So a huge part of the work that I do is supporting people in getting into their bodies. Because as I've said, you know, we, we can't just have sex up in our heads. It, we have to bring our body into the experience. So a lot of that will be identifying perhaps when you are, as you identified, Laura, in that fight or flight. And a lot of the work that I'm doing at the moment is um, bringing people's awareness to uh, their window of tolerance. So your window of tolerance is essentially a really healthy, regulated, grounded functioning whereby you have your natural highs and lows and uh, you know it's just a, a normal part of feeling human but then sometimes when we have these triggers that set us outside of our window of tolerance that brings us to being hyper aroused so that's that fight or flight when you're just like tense like you're on the go you're upregulated all the time 
And then we're hypo-aroused, which is when you essentially freeze, you kind of shut down. So what I'm sort of working with people to do is bring awareness to when their body is in fight or flight, because most people don't notice when they're even like stressed or just strung out. So bringing awareness to it and finding ways to regulate their bodies. And there's so many things that you can do for that, whether that is mindfulness practices, stress management, exercise, lifestyle. Um, It could even, if you're interested in looking at how this relates to sex, it could be mindful masturbation, mindful touch, mindful sex with other. Um, It is incredibly important. And I think also how this relates to sexual functioning and sexual pleasure when you're stressed, it can affect, of course, your desire for sex, but also how your body functions. So how erect or engorged you can get, how much you can release into pleasure and sensation. And when I'm working with people with vulvas who are pre-orgasmic, that's a main piece that we work through because they find it really tricky to, to be present and to be aware, but also to release into pleasure. And that's mm. sort of the main um, concern that's getting in the way between them and experiencing pleasure in their body. So yeah, it's a huge part. And when we, whenever I do um, mindfulness practices, I mean, it's so simple, but people are like, oh, like I'm in my body. Like I can feel again. So <laughs> yeah, it's incredibly powerful. Yeah. I, I think as well, you know, um, even outside of lockdowns, um, particularly for people who are female identifying, like this is kind of after body image making it hard to enjoy sex, which is the number one sexual issue that we hear from women, which is very sad, but probably not surprising. Um, Number two is I can't feel present or focused, like I'm distracted or anxious during sex, whether that's, you know, narratives about whether you're doing it right, whether it's thinking about your day, um, whether it's sort of bringing home um, stress from the moment or sort of um, feeling like you're having to switch immediately from, hey, I'm finishing a meeting at 6pm to at 605, I'm meant to be like, you know, present, grounded and and ready for sex. (laughs) Um, Like, I think uh, that issue is actually sort of um, one that has intensified in the lockdown, but it certainly is also like a really, really big one um, for female identifying people and and sexuality generally as well. Yeah, I can relate. I can can relate to the whole, you know, being stressed and absolutely not being into it at that moment. (laughs) Yeah, um, yeah. And sort of needing to figure out, like, sense. what are your brakes and accelerators yeah. and how do you reduce the brakes and increase the accelerators? Mm. Like, just, I think, thinking about arousal in that way can be really helpful. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm loving this conversation and I know the world is going in the right direction when it comes to having these conversations and, you know, sexuality, the taboo around it is, all, you know, relaxed a little bit and we can have yeah. these conversations more often. Um, when it comes to sexual exploration, I would love to know if you guys have seen um, any like common curiosities. I know there's, you know, many unique curiosities when it comes to sex, <laughs> but is there anything commonly coming up? Yeah. You go ahead. You go. I can jump in. (laughs) The the joys of Zoom. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think I think this is the the one thing that I really love about my job is the fact that I can see certain themes that emerge. And when we look at sex, it's not just informed by those few minutes you spend doing it in bed. It's informed by social, cultural, political, pop culture, like all of these things bring our curiosities front of mind and I think when Fifty Shades came out there was I mean I'm not a a huge fan of everything they they did Mm. or how they went Mm. about it but um, there was you know opportunity to explore um, 
some things that are a little bit kinky or BDSM or power dynamics and power play, even like erotica and engaging with yeah. that. So mm. that I think has been really interesting. Recently, I've been also working with people who are identifying that monogamy isn't necessarily for them or they're just kind of curious as to new ways of relating. So engaging in ethical non-monogamy, more curiosity around group sex experiences. Um, and I guess an- another piece is even just like being able to explore your body over the past few years, um, seeing how much masturbation is just such a, a common and celebrated part um, of uh, particularly, I guess, how cisgendered women are speaking about Mm. it at the moment. I think we still need to go a long way, which is on our list to to support (laughs) um, people with penises or, you know, more humans bringing them into that experience of being able to celebrate, to speak about, um, yeah, masturbation so that it isn't this kind of taboo anymore. What what are you noticing in the stats, Luce? Oh, so <laughs> you know me. Um, no, I. I mean, I think um, if you look, for example, at younger um, sort of female identifying people, um, kink, BDSM, and fetish is actually like the number one fantasy for Gen Z females. Um, so there's like a real kind of or curiosity. Actually, is probably the best way to put that. Um, there's also, I think, yeah, a lot of interest in things like anal sex. A lot of interest in things like sex with one more than one person, whatever form that takes. Sexting, phone or video sex. Um, So those are like pretty high up there. Um, And I think, yeah, in general, um, sort of uh, we see a bit of an expansion of um, what people see as the boundaries Um, and perhaps as well the lockdown, I think, fueling people to think a little more deeply about sex and sexuality. And that so often happens where because there are constraints placed on you, it actually sort of um, leads to exploration in other ways. And I I think it'll be interesting to see if that sort of carries through after the pandemic as well. Interesting. Yeah, there's so much. And as we've said, it's just so good that you're talking about it. Mm. And to finish off, (laughs) <laughs> we wanted to congratulate you on your incredible design and launch of your sex toys, which have been everywhere. We've seen them with the normal brand of the media in Vogue and, and BuzzFeed and Broadsheet. It's just incredible. So we wanted to ask, what have you found in your research and experience that are the biggest myths about sex toys and how do we find the right one for us? Because I'm sure there's a lot of myths. There are. There are so many. We were actually just talking about this the other day because we're doing a podcast that's all about pop culture and sex. So it's like one of the episodes we're unpacking is like Sex in the City um, and the um, episode where Charlotte gets the rabbit vibrator and gets addicted to it. And that's one of the absolute, like that episode has been so powerful. It's one of the most common things that you'll hear from people, like variations upon, mm-hmm. will this desensitize me um, and my genitals? Will this mean that I won't want real, like quote unquote, real sex? Um, will this mean that I am sort of um, start preferring this to my partner? Um, all of those types of, I think, questions. So definitely <laughs> of a kind and for of... Anyone that- um, that hasn't watched that episode. It's basically yeah. it's when she gets, she discovers this vibrator, and then she yeah, she doesn't want to go out yeah. with her She's friends. She so, says she doesn't yeah. want to. She just wants to spend time with it. So that's, yeah. that's for anyone that hasn't listened. That's the context. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> and if you if you actually rewatch the episode, because we were rewatching it, and we were like, wait, they come to her her apartment for an intervention, and she just looks like really happy and glowing. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. this is this is entirely the wrong telling of this story. Like Charlotte is doing great. <laughs> 
Um, so I think there's like a lot of really interesting um, myths and sort of stereotypes that um, are now thankfully kind of been cleared away. But um, lots of those notions of like replacement or like it being an inferior replacement or substitute as opposed to a addition and a form of mm. self-empowerment and a form of self-care um, to be able to kind of use sex toys in solo sex and in partnered sex as well. So I think that's like a really big one that we help people with too. Um, George, what about you? Sex twin myths. Oh, there's just so many. I think like we, yeah, the the desensitization piece is so big. And for anyone who has heard that, it's absolutely impossible to desensitize your genitals. Just like if you were to bring your vibrator to your hand, you're not going to rub away sensation in your hand. (laughs) And I think when we we talk about it like that, people are like, oh, of course you can't rub away nerve endings in your clitoris. So that's a a really big piece. Um, I, I think also the perhaps the fear around bringing it into partnered sex and and um, thinking, oh, if I ask my partner to do this, will they be offended? Or my partner's asked me to do this, does this mean I'm not a good lover? And really, I think that's been one of the key and really important parts of the way that we design and work with toys and even educate people on how to use them is to look at them as this amazing tool to make sex even better, even more fun, whether that's sex with yourself or with others. A sex toy will not replace your partner. (laughs) They just, as human beings, like we we serve very different functions. And I think, yeah, when we can um, talk about it in a way that identifies the concern and the taboo as informed by many pieces of pop culture or misinformation from our sex ed, but then also provide people with the education to be able to explore it in a way that feels fun and sexy and safe. I think that's the, you know, the best way to really smash these taboos that get in the way between us and pleasure yeah and also I think there's like um for so many people they'll have kind of had that experience like you're a teenager and you walk into a sex shop and you giggle with your friends and you walk out and like it kind of looks like chemist warehouse and Pornhub had a baby like that's like (laughs) the that's what the experience is um and um I think for anyone who's like oh my gosh that is not me I that I I don't see myself represented in that I'm definitely not like buying anything from that um I'd really encourage you to take a look at I think like this whole new wave of like call it like sex 2.0 or sex tech or whatever the the preferred term is but I think um there's a lot of um a lot of really amazing sort of organizations and brands jumping into this space who are saying well actually like we're designing these in like a truly shame-free way like what would it look like um if you made this like convenient and intuitive and educational and empowering um like what if you genuinely weren't neither neither you nor like the person who's sort of looking for a tool or sort of thinking about it like what if neither of you thought this was weird (laughs) and and how would you design in that case um so I think there's like a really um there's just such a huge change happening in that space as well so I'd encourage people to like have another look too um yeah And it's so much more accessible now too, which is so great. And it's great to see it's gone from, as you said, this kind of taboo shop that you would never go into (laughs) and then you'd go in and laugh and exactly. (laughs) And now it's it's wellness and it's, you know, huge stores, like the iconic, all these stores have a wellness section and there are sex toys in it. So it's not, it's really nice that it's come into mainstream and it's not this like, there's only one store and it's really far away or whatever it might be. (laughs) Yeah. Embarrassed and wear a hat. Yeah. It's it's totally different. For <laughs> yeah, sure. for sure. I mean, we even just launched in David Jones and I like I Amazing. could not believe that when I, I think know, they reached awesome. out cuz I was like 
this is a brand with an audience that is so sort of establishment. Mm. It's such a, it's a 140 year old like Aussie company. Like, and I think that even the fact that you are really seeing like um, brands that would surprise you um, getting interested in this space and legitimizing it is so exciting. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it sure is. Well, thank you so much to both of you. It has been incredible to have this conversation. You are changing the world in the best way possible. Um, And yeah, we honestly, we can't, we can't thank you enough for all of the wisdom that you've shared with our community and with us. I've learned so much during this. So thank you. Yeah. And thank you, because I mean, this is so much a a part of the conversation too. the fact that you're inviting sexual wellness into, you know, your brand and your offering, being able to educate all of your listeners, I think is just as important for the opportunity to allow more people to access pleasure. Absolutely. I think it's, yeah, it's like for so many people, you will be this really amazing sort of um, force, like the friends on the other end of the line um, who um, make it feel comfortable to talk about this. So I think, Mm. you know, it's huge, like the work that you're doing on it as well. Yeah. Mm. So thank you. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you so much, both of you. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed that chat. We will pop the details in our show notes. Now, before I sign off, I would love to say thank you for listening. And if you are a listener most weeks, thank you for all of your support. It really means the world. One way you can show some extra support is through voting for us for the Australian Podcast Listener's Choice Award. It ends on Sunday. So if you love the kick pod, we would be so, so grateful. And I'll pop the link in our show notes. If you would like to find out more about Keep It Cleaner, you can head to our website, www.keepitcleaner.com. You can find us on Instagram at keepitcleaner, at laura.henshaw and at Smith. And we'll be in your ears again next week. Bye.